This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. My name is Alex Fitton, and this is season three, episode 13 of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. So this is the last you're going to hear from me in this episode, except for a quick sponsor announcement, because a couple of dudes have taken over the podcast, and that means it's the dad's episode. I'm really, really, really excited for this, you guys. Um, This is like just all about being a guy and adoption and um, what that means for you as a father. And so I just I hope that you guys love this episode as much as I did. I'm pretty proud of it. Um, My husband, Brian, kind of took over the host seat. And our guest was Chuck Butler. You will definitely recognize his wife, Amy. Um, She's kind of a big deal around here. And so now you get to hear from her other half. Um, Before we jump in, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you love it and you think others might too. Um, Those ratings really help the podcast to be recommended to more people. So thank you in advance for doing those things. And that's it for now. Let's jump in. All right. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. My name is Brian Fitton. I am not Alex Fitton, even though we do kind of get confused at some points. And like, are you Alex? Because she has a boy name, and that's okay. I tease her all the time about it. That's one thing that I love about her is her her awesome name, Alexandria. But today it's me. You guys get me, and I'm so excited to uh, to bring an awesome guest on the show today to help kind of bridge the gap for the adoptive dads who listen to this because i know there are several of you out there we get we get comments and questions all the time um it is called the adoptive mom but uh we gotta have we gotta show some love to the dads out there so i have an amazing dad uh mr Uh, chuck butler the one and only how you doing today chuck i'm incredible i'm excited to be here that's awesome man I'm, i'm pumped to have you uh because we have taken over the show and this is exciting. This may be a, a once in a lifetime opportunity, so we got to make sure we do it right. Is that is that okay? Maybe let's do it. Let's rock <laughs> this. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, so Chuck, I uh, know Alex introduced you a little bit in our intro, but I want to make sure that you uh, you can kind of go over basically who you are, who your family is, um, and then kind of a, a recap of your story here. Yeah, so my name is Chuck, and I am married to Amy Butler, who has been uh, honored to be a part of this a couple of times with yeah, the Adopted she's Moms a, podcast. She's a two-time guest, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and she yeah. got her own meme. <laughs> she did. We were talking about that before we started recording. Yeah, okay, I, if you want, Chuck, I will meme you. after. We'll figure out something. We'll make it happen here. you got to have higher meme standards than me, but <laughs> I... Uh, so Amy and I have been married uh, almost 14 years. We have four children. We have two biological and two adopted. And uh, we have one in middle school and we have three in elementary school. And so two boys, two girls um, all over the place. But, you know, it, it keeps us energized and keeps us young. And, um, man, it is, it is, uh, quite the journey doing this with Amy, but man, she is the best to walk alongside what we're doing. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those of you that want to jump back and hear um, really in-depth their story, Amy has been um, on the podcast. We'll put in the show notes links to her episode as well. But uh, yeah, Chuck, so we what we want to do is obviously see from a an adoptive dad side of this. And so um, what we're going to do, we have some questions um, that I had for you just as myself as an adoptive dad. Um, and then, you know, obviously talking one, we, we kind of have this kindred spirit because we're going through the fire together with this and helping these kids that are coming from hurting places. Um, and we obviously want to be strong and lead them in the in the correct path um, and that can be hard sometimes so we have kind of some discussion topics and then we we reached out to our Facebook uh, family and Instagram family to kind of get um, more questions around this topic and things to ask you and for us to discuss so we're actually going to jump in those as well um, so if you guys don't know you can follow obviously the adopted mom podcast on facebook and we try to do this from time to time to really get um into some of the the nitty-gritty when it comes to this adoption adoption journey so um chuck we're just if it's all right we can just jump right in yeah awesome awesome all right so one of the first questions that that when alex and i were talking about this that came up for me as an adoptive dad is that um really that protective nature as a father to be the provider to make sure that you know you keep evil out of the home you know we put up fences and stuff and we want to do everything possible to to protect our kids and a lot of times um what happens is you know when we invite others into our home, strangers. And I say that loosely, obviously, um, these kids are, they're, they're not our own. How do we make sure that, you know, we're, we're protecting, but also they become our kids too. And so then protecting them from the outside world, what are, what are your thoughts along that path? Because I know I kind of struggled with that at first, um, because we've adopted too. And so trying to balance that of like, these are all my kids. And I'm being honest, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing right up front. How did you, how did you kind of deal with that whenever you guys adopted? We have had in our two adoptions, they are so different as far as the way that they, those stories started that I had to think through protection from like two different angles. When, when we adopted for the first time, we adopted an infant. And so it was this protectiveness of, um, the family that we had now of our, of our two biological children and my wife and myself, like, how is this going to change that? Like protecting this incredible little, you know, community that we had. And so it was a protective nature of making sure that I wanted that to fit in and just it to be seamless. And as as that child grew and, you know, got older, you know, it seemed like because of being able to get him so young, um, I, I was less and less worried about that type of protection of protecting this little four person entity, entity, entity. <laughs> and now I was protected, you know, trying to think through, okay, he is such a part and integrated into our family. We're now this five person entity, um, now I'm protective of that it, the exact same way I was protective of the four person entity mm-hmm. because we just got him so young and we were able to connect and bond and attach with him from such a young, from such a young age. And then we get to our second adoption. That was a completely different, um, story. Uh, you know, it was the situation where, you know, getting a six year old, um, out of the foster care system, there's so many things that you kind of 
think through in your brain of what could happen, you know, the, the six years before this person comes into your home, not knowing the full story, not knowing if you're ever going to know the full story, you're, you're trying to figure out who you can trust as far as the information that you're mm-hmm. giving, giving. And now you have this five person family that you're incredibly protective of. You have a wife that, you know, from the get go has been such a driving force in this, in a great way of just leading the charge of, of helping our family prepare. And then the day comes when that child enters your home. And we had a kind of a weird situation where, um, not only did um, one child enter the home, but we had a sibling group enter our home, and um, it was uh, half um, half siblings. And immediately, the question starts coming from not just protecting this five person entity that is the Butlers. Now, safety mm-hmm. is the thought that that is going through our mind. Like, how do we make sure that we're are we physically? Do we need to be physically concerned? about anything? Do we need to be, how do we need to be emotionally concerned? How do we need to be, um, you know, spiritually and mentally concerned about protecting these other three children that have been such a part of our family and that we have been so bonded and we're so cohesive in that, in that sense of community mm-hmm. that I was having to think about each individual child. I felt like I was having to think about my children as a whole and then had to think about my wife and then think about me and my wife and our marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I felt this onslaught of how to protect. And it just felt completely overwhelmed. I did not feel prepared. I did not feel like I was good at it. I felt very inadequate and all protective. And and I like to think I'm a very protective person. Like I'm not like a super aggressive person, but I like to think of myself as someone that thinks through protective layers. And I just felt like my brain for a while could not catch up to all the different layers of protection that I was having to do with the child that we ended up adopting the half sibling that disrupted how this affected our other adopted kid who is beginning to realize that, okay, this adoption is what, what we did with him, but he was much younger. And then our biological kids, and then there's me and Amy's marriage. And then there's me as an individual, Amy as an individual. It literally (laughs) felt like I I felt psych, not psychotic, but I just kind of felt like my brain is not able to wrap itself around this whole situation. And so it became very overwhelming to to try to think through that protective nature. I mean, I really at some point felt like this is going to break me. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. uh, this idea of how do I continue to protect and you know as as safety or some of the other things that came into effect with with um, the child that disrupted. Um, just as a father, I had to make a decision, and my wife was right there with me of. If I'm basing this off of protecting the family that I know God has called us to to bring together, then we've got to disrupt. We've got to allow this disruption to happen. And then we've got to pursue this other child, the half-sibling, as our daughter, mm-hmm. knowing that that is the best thing for her and that that is exactly what God has called us to do. But, man, I feel like protection and that protective nature has never stopped. Yeah. Like I feel like every day I deal with it on some level. Wow. Yeah, that's that's got to be tough, too, especially in that situation. We've I mean, I've had to deal with that personally. You you think that you're you're set to, you know, I'm going to take on anything that comes here. I'm I'm more than willing and, and more than able to to make sure to protect my family. Um, and then all of a sudden they're 
they're in your home, they're part of it. And you're like, should I be feeling this way? What level, where do I, where's the balance of that? You know, because, um, I know that that's a, that's a hard call that, that we obviously have not had to go through a disruption, but we've definitely gone through our own stuff when it comes to physical safety. And I think a lot of, especially foster parents deal with that, you know, is, is where's that line? Because you want to give grace and you want to give truth and you want to, you got to find that, that line. But man, um, as a dad, it all kind of falls on you. You feel like, like I'm the one who, who has to make that call in the end, like where is too far, you know? And I I know that my wife, she's been there and we've gone through that, but, um, it's probably the same for you and Amy, those discussions, but, um, as kind of the head of the household, it's, it's ultimately up to you and, (laughs) you know, you're, you're where the buck stops, you know? And so, um, that's, that's definitely tough. And that, that kind of goes into, and we, we talked a little bit about this, but that's, the cliche thing is, and I, and I get this question all the time too, is, is how, how on board were you with this? So it's almost like, well, when your wife decided to start fostering, how did you feel about that? And it was like, well, I was actually the one who took the first step and we kind of started this process together, but it obviously has ebbed and flowed back and forth. You know, each of us have had our doubts. What has it been like for you and Amy in that, in that arena? We, I feel like we were very fortunate in the fact that both as single people, We knew that God wanted us to adopt. Now, we had no clue what that looked like. Mm. I mean, (laughs) that's such a naive statement to go, oh, I want (laughs) to adopt because sometimes it it just seems like, man, this this kind of sexy thing that I cannot wait for that to happen. And this is so incredible. And it was just one of those things that we knew God placed on our hearts individually. And that as we were dating and getting engaged, um, we knew that God was going to creatively put our family. We, we, we were hoping God would allow us to have biological children. And, but we knew that it was always, um, uh, first priority for us to, to kind of knit our family together through biological children and adoptive children. Mm -hmm. So going into marriage, I mean, we just didn't know what the order was going to be. Like at one point we were like, hey, we're going to go biological and adopted, biological and adopted. And we thought we had this little like algebraic formula as to how we were going to do. And it worked out nothing like that <laughs> um, at all. And, you know, some other things fell into place where, you know, we had our biological children first and mm-hmm. then we were able to move into uh, adoption and then in our first adoption from embassy, we, we were always on board. It was definitely Amy that has always been the engine as far as she did things that always kept us in the process and kept us running and kept us on task. And she was the one filling out the notebook of 1,048 pages. And I would sign my name 14 times and I thought (laughs) I did a lot. Um, She was always that drive of making sure we got everything in on time and doing everything. But it was never a sense of her having to drag me along. Mm -hmm. We always knew, but her passion and heart allowed her to do things and to do them and do them um, in such a way that it was easy to come up alongside that mm-hmm. and always walk with her through that. The foster care, I think the best thing that someone ever told me was it's not going to be like your first adoption through an adoption agency and getting an infant. And I'm glad somebody told me that because I was clueless. I, I mean, I really didn't know that much about the foster care system at that point or even how that worked or mm-hmm. this this mythical phrase of foster to adopt, what does that really mean? And all the stuff that goes with it. 
And so luckily, you know, because of what Amy does, she had a level of knowledge that actually helped lead me in that. And I, instead of her having to get me on board, I just felt like I was playing catch up with the amount of knowledge that she had about it. And um, I, I would say that it was her passion and energy that really got us prepared. Mm-hmm. But she never had to get me on board. It was always something that we're, we we knew that that was always going to be a part of it. Once we got into the process, we knew that as we were going through the call and and as we were you know working with Project Zero, we always knew that somehow it was going to be interwoven through that foster care system. Um, so I was very fortunate that I never had to be like, bribed or convinced to do this. It was never the kind of thing where you're going to do it because I want to do it. It was, we were completely on board with it. And, uh, you know, that, that has made everything that has come after both adoptions so much easier, not easy, but so much easier. Yeah. And the fact that we have always been right beside each other, walking that path. Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll throw this in there that the people that I've known that have tried to go through, especially the foster care process. And one spouse was not, uh, you know, completely on board or even close to on board. It has not been good. I mean, we've seen that with, with our friends and stuff like that. And I I hate to say that because I don't want to deter people from going through this because it's been one of the most rewarding things for us. And I'm sure for you guys too. And that's, but it is one of, I mean, that's real that both have to kind of, I mean, you have to be in agreement because you need each other in this process. Yeah, and I don't even think that you have to be the same level of uh, passion about it. Mm-hmm. But I think if you want to get super spiritual, with kind of annoys me at times. But I mean, if it's a calling, <laughs> mm-hmm. if it's a calling, sometimes passion wanes in your calling. And um, we always knew that God had not released us from that calling. Like that was something that we knew we were doing. And so I might be super pumped about it at one point. And Amy may be at a different place or she may have been just, you know, about to run through a wall. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, is, do we really, you know, why don't we let those background checks, you know, slide for a little bit? <laughs> um, or, yeah. You know, or why don't we let some of this stuff lapse? You know, it was always that kind of thing where even through all of that, I don't know how we would have been able to have been as as much of a unit if we weren't on the same page um, doing it. And so. Man, I think that anyone that is not on the same page, they've got to get really curious before they start taking some of these steps and, you know, thinking about a protective nature. Think about protecting the family that's going to change or the family that's going to be added to um, if you're not on the same page. You know, there's a protective nature of protecting what you don't know also Mm -hmm. and protecting a year down the line and a couple of years down the line. So. We were, um, it it was very, it was very good that we always knew that we wanted the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And that, that obviously goes back to the previous question of, especially that marriage protecting that, that piece of it, because we've actually seen friends who've had that have had marriage struggles because they weren't on the same page. So I think that's great, great advice. Um, let's talk about attachment real quick and maybe some of the differences between, 
your attachment to the your bio kids and then also obviously the adopted kids i mean they're all all your kids now but um, sure. what that looks like between you and amy and i'll, I'll give a brief uh, just opening of myself and the struggles that i've had is i i attached quicker to our teenager so we adopted a teenager and then adopted his younger half brother when he was um two years old and so i attached quick quicker to the teenager and she my wife at attached quicker to the toddler. And we, we had had to, we had struggled to kind of go back and forth with that. And that's, that's something that we still, you know, deal with is, is I'm struggling with, you know, when the toddler is throwing a tantrum and a fit, it's easier for me to get more upset with him mm -hmm. than it is for the teenager and vice versa for her. And so, um, have you dealt with that with you and Amy? Um, or is it all just a bed of roses? Are you guys just, <laughs> no, no. I mean, Honestly, when I hear stories that are beds of roses, it just it, it can be really frustrating, you know, at the core of who I am, because I'm like, man, I, I'm not calling anybody a liar, but that is not our story. Yeah. The bed yeah. of roses has not been the story. There are times where it's been a struggle um, with our biological kids uh, at because, you know, they've had to adjust. Yeah. You know, I mean, that. They go from a situation where it was them and then this tiny little baby comes in that we're, you know, trying to figure out what this world is about with him. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we wait several years and then all of a sudden there's, uh, you know, this this person that's not a baby, still super young. And the attachment has been one of those things where I just feel like. I don't know what I'm doing sometimes when it comes to attachment. So many things feel so natural, um, obviously, with biological children. I mean, you're there at the birth mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, everything just seems like, OK, this makes sense. OK, this milestone, mo this milestone makes sense. And man, this makes sense that I feel this way about this kid. And as as our kids have gotten older, our biological kids have gotten older. Some of that stuff just continues to make sense. With our first adoption that we adopted um, at about a month old, we knew about him after a few days after he had been born, but we actually received him into our home at about a month. Um, everything felt so similar to the biological births hmm. that it was almost weird. Like it seemed surreal, like, man, am I faking myself into thinking that this is the deal? And so that attachment. And that first adoption seemed very natural, not easy, but it seemed very natural. And um, our biological kids that were still very young when we did that, like I began to see some natural tendencies of what we saw with our oldest kid when the second kid was born. I began to see some of those same type of things like loving on this kid and, and you know, kissing on this kid. And, you know, you know, he was he was incredibly cute. And so these <laughs> the kids like they wanted to be around him. And you could tell that there was a little bit of shift in that, okay, it's not just a two-kid show anymore. Like, this third kid has come into this. And then we had several years of basically growing with them and learning attachment with this adopted kid and watching the three of them learn how to attach to each other. Watching Amy and I feel like we have this almost natural sense of attachment to him that almost, it, it didn't seem surprising, but until you go through it, it just, I was very shocked to some degree about how, how just easy it was, mm. um, to feel that attachment. And then, you know, when we decided to go through the foster care system, you just don't know what, like, you know, getting a sibling group at that point, 
attachment was very difficult. It was very challenging uh, with the sibling group that were older coming in at, you know, like kindergarten, second grade. Um, that was that was very difficult in that um, anytime someone comes into your home that has years of, you know, history that you're trying to figure out mm-hmm. and you're trying to protect yourself, you're trying to protect your own heart. You're trying to protect the heart of your wife. She's trying to protect the heart of her husband. We're trying to protect the hearts of these tiny little three other kids that um, in their minds, they have this very movie um, perfect scenario of what this new family is going to look like. And our oldest struggled with that the most. I mean, she just, you know, had this idea of what adoption was going to look like with, with getting these kids. And so I think she had to grieve that a little bit. And I think, um, Amy and I had to to figure out how do we lead these kids, these three, our two biological and the first kid that we adopted, how do we lead them in such a way that are preparing them for something that's going to be hard? I mean, we basically said yes to hard and we knew we were saying yes to hard and we knew we were saying yes to messy. But I think what was difficult for us is knowing how that messy and that hard was going to affect our attachment. And it was very, very difficult with the the child that disrupted Mm -hmm. because we were constantly thinking about safety and wanting to give it a chance. But it was like we were never able to really get past the safety thing to really ever attach. And plus there was developmental and cognitive things that were happening that were making it very difficult to to attach, you know, that that child's past was so difficult and rough that there's some things that just quite honestly made it very difficult for her to attach. And so as she disrupted and as hard as that was to know that that was the best thing for our family, mm-hmm. um, now we had to turn from that hard to we have this one little girl that's in our home now that, you know, ultimately within a year of that other half sibling disrupting she's adopted in ours everything's finalized and you know thinking through what if attachment is never like what it is with our other kids yeah what if this is a lifelong process of of attaching what if we never truly can attach to this kid man those things those things began to get really like puzzly and jubbly <laughs> and you know just you felt like you're juggling things in your head they're like why am i dealing with this like like this seems so hard to try to figure out and so attachment stressed me out man like it yeah. really it stressed me out and then watching our older kids learn how to attach to this brand new um adoptive kid that's come in through foster care and you know when attachment breaks or when attachment is not easy or when attachment is not um even good mm-hmm. it it provides stress to think how is about how is a dad can i make this better like how can i help every my kids in pain yeah because yeah. they're grieving this this idea of this perfect idea of what this adoption is going to look like this this little girl that has just come into our home um she's very glad to be in our home, but she has no clue how to attach to this family. And so, man, it is, I always felt like it takes like this doctoral thesis amount of work to attach. And I just feel like I'm in elementary school so many times um, trying to do it. And I think that as we have learned how to attach, we have learned through each kid better what that looks like for those kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, my wife and I, you know, it seems like we do really good at attaching in some areas and then 
one of us is getting it right in one area and one of us is getting it right in other areas and we're, we're, we're not doing so great in other areas. And so, yeah. um, I think for Amy and I, we've just tried to be real, normalize and make margin and space for the fact that we're just not going to get it right all the time. Yeah. We just have to be supportive with each other. And we have to just realize that if, if Jesus has called us to do this, then we've got to be okay with thinking through what if it's never exactly what was in our mind when we were filling out the paperwork. And um, because it's not, it's not what we thought when we were filling out the paperwork, but um, it's exactly what we know we're supposed to be doing and saying yes to messy and saying yes to hard and saying yes to pain um, doesn't always make attachment easy. But, you know, as we have worked toward it, it's always worth it. You know, even when it's hard, it's always worth it. But it just seems like it's so psychologically and mentally tiring that you just want to go take a nap for like a week and a half and then wake up and hopefully and think it's taken care of. And it's just never been like that for us. It's always been effort. Yeah. And sometimes it's not been hard, but it's always been effort. Yeah. And it's always been something that we've had to work toward. And sometimes it seems very natural with one child and sometimes it feels very unnatural. But again, going back to the deal with being on board, Amy and I are running alongside each other is what has made everything better in the area of attachment. Yeah. And when we feel crazy, my wife is able to be honest with me and real. And I don't try to put forth anything in front of her. That's not not real. And she doesn't try to put forth anything in front of me. That's not real. We're not trying to out parent the other one or out attach the other one. We're just trying to be real when we struggle. And, uh, you know, it has made this journey. I don't feel crazy or insane (laughs) because there's a level of, of truth that we've been able to share with each other. Yeah. We, my wife and I joke about that, that it's uh, kind of an us versus them mentality. Sometimes it's like <laughs> we, we have to be honest, like, are you ready to go attack? Like, all right, all right, game. All right, go like break. <laughs> and we, yeah, but, but it really is that to, to kind of survive some of these situations, especially in that attachment world. And um, it's very interesting because we recently had a friend of ours who doesn't, who I say in acquaintance and had, had really struggled with um them saying they said you know well i just assumed that um the attachment was just super easy and you know you adopted like they're your kid and everything's great and it's like well there's a lot of stuff that really you know the backstory and the and the the baggage and and just all the stuff that comes with it it's just i mean in in this world is i mean life in general is not easy and even some bio parents or bio kids you just you don't you have trouble attaching to i mean i have friends whose whose real parents sure. had troubles attaching to them so it's it's not just a natural thing um and i think that's important for people to understand that it does take some work but in the end it is worth it like you said it's completely worth it but um it does take effort um sometimes so i think that's great and time it's don't, true, true. I, I would just say, don't ever put a timeline on it. I mean, you can't put a due date on when you think attachment is going to be completed. Um, it just is one of those things. And, and every time you hear someone's story that sounds like they attached early, attached early, don't assume that that's the norm. Yeah. I think every situation is individualized and has context. And, you know, I, I think that if you can find, some adoptive parents that you're willing to be real with and you can accept they're real, Mm -hmm. that is a support system that helps you maintain this sense of, okay, I can see the wins in what God has called me to do. 
because if you feel like you're the only one that's not winning, you can feel like a failure. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. But absolutely. if you are able to get with some people and be real and luckily I've got someone in, in my life that, you know, I'm able to be really real with and they understand when I say this has been hard. They don't think I'm a bad parent. They don't think I'm crazy. They don't think I'm the only one. They're able to go, dude, I just dealt with that two weeks ago. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And so hearing it normalized and making space for that, man, it just feels it honestly in just a real non like super smart way. It just feels really good to hear those things from someone else to know that you're not the only one. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. And it's interesting too, just how different our stories are that the, especially going back to the attachment piece that everybody's story is going to be completely different. Sometimes you are going to find those people that go through the same things, but I think it's awesome that every, every story is not just, Hey, they were a baby and we attached easily or, you know, with, like I said, in my situation where that, that was hard for me. And so obviously everything is going to be completely different sometimes. And so, yeah. um, I think that's, I think that's good. And when, that's good. And when you talk to people, like hopefully what everyone understands when they hear me and Amy's story is, is they understand that our story is valid mm-hmm. and we want to validate their story and we want to hear them and get really curious because often we don't get curious enough with ourselves of why we're, where we're at. Yeah. And you know, if Amy and I weren't constantly getting curious with each other uh, um, as, a, as a spouse, this would probably be a lot harder. All right, guys, I hope you are really enjoying the conversation with Brian and Chuck, and we'll get back to it in just a second. But first, I wanted to remind you guys of a couple of things. Just in time for the holidays, I have a special discount code for y'all, and it's with the Family Seal Company. Now, I know you guys have heard me talk about them before, and we did a giveaway with them back in November for National Adoption Month with their adoption t-shirt. It's an original design, super cute. I have it in hot pink, of course. And now that the winner's already been chosen, we decided to just keep the party going and offer you guys 20% off on your entire purchase, not just the adoption t-shirt. You have to use the code adoptive mom. So definitely go do that. The family seal company, you can find them all over social media and go to their website. The show notes will have the specific link and get to shopping. You'll definitely want to have a few of those wrapped up under your tree for people this year. Also, you guys definitely are going to want to sign up for my email list. Now, back in November, my giveaway for signing up was a free adoptive mom podcast sticker and they're super cute. My giveaway for this month is a sensory gift guide. So all of your kids that have sensory issues, whether they are sensory seekers or they are opposed to sensory stuff, you're definitely going to want this gift guide. It was written by an occupational therapist. It has links in it. It has a special like Amazon list that you can just go through and click, 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 put it all in your cart and be done with it. And stay tuned because we're going to have a giveaway with that too. So go to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash email and sign up now. Okay, let's get back to the show. Kind of jumping into the next question here, uh, changing gears, but um, as a dad, how do you balance... I think sometimes I'm amazing at balance. And then sometimes I just literally feel like the worst person in the world. Mm-hmm. I think that what, what happened for me when adoption became a, a reality is I realized that I did need, well, first off, when we, when my wife and I first got married, my wife made it very, very clear that I was working too much hmm. and that it doesn't matter if I'm called to ministry, don't be an idiot. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. literally she was like, don't be an idiot. You know, 
Um, just because God called you to the ministry, God didn't call you to 90 hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, she made that very clear about three months into our marriage that I better figure out a way to be a lot more wise in the way that I do my job. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really good to be confronted with that. Um, and so I think that as we had biological children, I was able to be confronted with that again. Okay, how do I continue to become wiser in how I balance? And then our adoptions have been such a game changer for us and such two different stories that every time that we've adopted, um, I've been reconfronted with how to reevaluate with balancing. And so for now, or now, I mean, with, with four kids and still four really young kids, the way that I try to balance is understand that ministry is not an eight to five job, but I've got to be willing to put these this family, my wife and these four children in front as my top priority while still understanding that I've got some really important priorities that, that I may have to do. But mm-hmm. I try really hard to get, to get really good at while I'm at the church and while I'm at the office um, or while I'm doing anything that's out of the office or if I'm at a campus or at a school, man, I need to be you know immersed in that moment to be able to do what I've been called to do and what I'm asked to do. But always remembering that there's something that's incredibly important that if I need to take a phone call or if I need to leave and go do something, that that is that is part of what I'm I'm being called to do. Yeah. And when I get home, man, I really try to just be home. And that is so stereotypical. And I feel like we as ministers always try to say that, man, when I'm home, I'm home. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm amazing. Uh, I think the best thing I can say is when I'm proactive as a dad, I am the best dad. Yeah. So. Yeah. When I make a plan with my kid that we're going to go play football, I better make sure that when I get home, I'm going to go throw that football. Yeah. Because my kids, they'll forget homework. They'll forget to brush their teeth. They'll forget <laughs> to change clothes for three days or forget to shower. Yeah. But they will not forget a date that, that I've made with them. Yeah. And so I think making that stuff priority as much as I can when I'm home, um, just in making individualized time for each kid and for Amy helps me balance. And then, you know, when, when we're able to have that time, we're all together. Like it's weird. Like we like to play card games and stuff like that and board games. And man, the more fun I can make that, if I can make that a memory, I want to make that a memory. And so I try to, to balance the things that we do to see those things become memories. I mean, just tonight we had a dance party, which, you know, sounds like I'm trying to be cool and fun. No, that just happens to be a Monday night. (laughs) You know, we got done eat chicken and we decided that we were going to do this. And that's part of that balance is instead of going to check my phone, instead of going to, you know, check email, I'm going to take this time right now and we're going to take this 10 minutes just to do something incredibly fun and silly. And, but my kids are going to remember stuff like that. And so, um, looking at that, I think that does provide that emotional support to know that my kids know that when I am with them, Everything about me wants to make a memory with them. And uh, memories are a big deal for me just because I I remember the things from my childhood. I'm like, that was amazing. And that was Mm -hmm. such a small little thing. I mean, we didn't have to fly across the world, but I remember that one thing. I'm constantly wanting to do something to make these things a memory because I think that's part of balance. And um, also for what I do is I want to bring my family along the journey with ministry. Uh, I've got a kid that's in uh, student ministry right now, which is crazy, but I want my younger kids to be a part. I want 
the students or the, the church. I want them to know who they are. I want my wife to be a part, which is a part of balance where I'm very fortunate that what I do for a living, I'm able to pull them along and have them see what I do and be a part of it. Yeah. Not everybody is fortunate to do it that way, but I'm very, very lucky that what I do helps me balance because I can at times even bring those two things together yeah. and see those. It's not even a balance at that point. It's just kind of this unified thing that I get to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's uh, I, what something that popped up in my mind as you were speaking was intentionality of making sure that that time was, is intentional. So you may not always have to have the, the quantity of time, but the, the limited time that you do have, make it very intentional. And that's, that's for me, it's that five to seven. We have that, that gap that I'm like phone down, whatever's happening. You know, we do dinner and stuff like that, but we, uh, we, we actually, tonight we invented a new game called catchy ball and that's literally, we're just throwing a ball and catching it but it was they had asked me earlier that day they're like hey can we can we play catch and it became this this game of catchy ball and so i was cleaning up the dishes and stuff like that and they kept asking and kept asking and i'm i'm myself trying not to say yes later later like when is later but i literally said you know what dishes can wait for a minute and that took 10 minutes and we just sat there yeah. <laughs> and tossed this little ball but it was intentional and that's something that was as small as it was, it definitely made a memory for me, you know, um, when there were more important things to do in your mind, you know, we had to get the kitchen cleaned. We had to get everybody's going to bed, you know, but that moment was, was definitely special. So I definitely relate with that. I I love when I think about balancing and everything is I try to, and I'm not perfect with this, but I try to think about what's going to excite each kid and then beat them to the ask. Yeah. So when I think about my four kids, which are literally as different as you could possibly imagine, every parent I feel like says that. Yeah. But I feel like we're textbook, we're four for four different, man. And to think about what's going to excite them and then beat them to the ask, it's almost like it makes it even more oh, amazing yeah. for them. That's that I awesome. beat them to that I beat them to it. And so I'm not always good at that. Sometimes they ask me and I'm the worst dad in the world. I'm like, literally go see if your mom wants to do that. Or <laughs> like, I just am like, listen, I'll get to that in 15 minutes knowing that they're going to go to sleep and I'm going to forget. And it gives me another day, <laughs> but I want to try to beat them to that exciting thing because I think it tells them that man, dad, he's in this man. Like he wants to have fun. And then I like to be really competitive, so I like to talk trash to them, you know, and uh, I still like to beat them, even though they're like yeah, half my size. That's right. That's it. So me and me and uh, I feel like the future me, because we obviously have the toddlers, and so future me is not going to let anybody beat me at basketball. I don't care how old they are. Until they reach a certain age, they'll just know that dad is the best, best, best basketball player in the <laughs> world, and no one beats him. So I don't care if it hurts their feelings or not they're not going to, they're not going to beat me. So, but anyway, that's, that's another topic for another day. So, Hey, um, so I want to jump in real quick to some of these listener questions and we'll kind of go through these. And, um, obviously we had some great stuff come in. So Chuck just kind of rattle off some answers and we'll just kind of take it as it, as it goes here. So, uh, first one was best tips for connecting with your children after adopting. I think you kind of went into that actually with this last one of individualized, Things, but do you have an example um, of maybe something specific that you did with one of your kids? Yeah. I, so just specifically thinking about like our adoptive kids, um, especially when the fact that we adopted, you know, in uh, a little bit older is, man, just ask a lot of questions. 
and, you know, and then do a bunch of stuff that you don't really want to do maybe initially is just be, be really intentional to, to do some stuff that may not make a lot of sense and don't underestimate how small something might help you connect. Mm. Like you don't have to take a kid on a trip to another state. Like there are some really small things that I think one of the things I initially remember is I remember taking, um, the, the, the child that we got out of foster care and we went and had a snow cone and we sat in the bed of my truck. And I can, I can tell you that she had a blue snow cone and we were sitting in the back of our truck. And I, that is something that, that we can remember and we connected in that way. And this was right after this is, and this is during the hard, like the hardest challenge part of this, when the last thing I really wanted to go do was go get a snow cone at that point. But man, that small thing sticks in my mind of how important that, that, that little thing was to connect. And so I think you never, there's probably never a time that you need to be more intentional than right after, you know, because it kind of develops that habit of being intentional. And then, you know, another tip and, and we definitely weren't perfect with this, but, you know, find things that develop habits, like the way that we pray with our kids, the way that we pray with them before school, and again, not to sound super spiritual, we're not 100% with all that stuff, but like, I love the fact that when we say a prayer, there's a part of it that they repeat and mm-hmm. that they just know and that like, if anybody walked up to them and said that prayer, they would know what to say. And so that's just a little thing that helped us connect. Even when you don't feel, you can connect even when you don't feel completely attached. Yeah. And because connecting is a process. And so, man, for me, the biggest thing I've learned is just keep doing it. Even when it's hard, just find something that you feel like you can do. That consistency. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So you you hit on this a tad, but uh, what are your best tips for finding mentors who have similar adoption stories as you? Well, I feel like the word finding makes it sound like I would have gone out and been really wise and smart and be like, will you please mentor me in the art of adoption? (laughs) And I didn't do that because I didn't know what to do. Because sometimes when you talk, you really think that you sound like the worst person in the world. Like, man, this is really hard. And, you know, you see some of these stories where you feel like, well, gosh, that person's so much better than me. Can you please Mm -hmm. just go talk to that person? I think for me, the smartest thing I did was to listen to people like my wife who, you know, knew of people that were going through similar things. And I just kind of stopped and just began listening. So I don't really think that I found mentors. I think I listened and realized that there are people that had a lot to speak into my life. And so I think that I just decided that there were some people I wanted to do life with yeah. because their wisdom and their journey brings life to me, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and help me. And, um, so it's hard for me to say the best tips for finding mentors. I would say this, listen to people who have a story to tell you and um, listen to their stories because there might be some stories you're going to go like, I literally don't understand what this person's talking about. Like, I hope you might even think, I hope I do better than this person or I can, I I don't know what you're going to think, but I think the more I listened, I began to hear this voice that was like, man, that's a voice that I know that I need to listen to. Yeah. And um, it's almost like Jesus was just making it super clear that he was kind of clearing the rest of it away and being like, that's a voice I want you to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was saying through that is being open, open to that opportunity whenever it yeah. does present itself. So that's fantastic. Um, this is, this is a good question here. So how can I best support my spouse through this process? 
<laughs> don't <laughs> don't give advice. <laughs> like just shut up. <laughs> and I mean that in the true sense of the word, yes. shut up. I yes. literally mean I'm not. Don't hush up. Don't be quiet. Literally, shut your face. <laughs> let them say whatever they need to say. Don't fix it. Mm. Don't quote scripture. Preach. Um, don't don't try to be you know, the smartest person in the room, be willing to have no answers Mm -hmm. and just sit there and be quiet, which I struggle with that. Like initially, like I was wanting to fix the whole thing. Yeah. Like I went into lawyer mode of like, we're going to do this and this and this, and you, Amy will come up alongside in sub article point four and (laughs) this. And what I've learned now is that my wife really wants to hear all my stuff. She wants to hear the hard, she wants to hear the pain. She wants to hear my heart and she's going to get really curious with it. And so I'm, I'm learning to get really curious and then just be quiet and then just kind of let that process be supportive in that I need to hear the totality of what my wife is going through. I need to hear the totality of Amy's heart right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the best thing I've done to support is just to completely listen to her and to not try to interject all the time and to not try to to be this Twitter statement that makes everything better um, and to try to solve her things in 144 or 280 characters or less. Like it really it's come to some degree of just kind of loving her and being quiet. And then when she asked me a question of like, hey, how does that hit you? Then share in the most supportive way of that freaks my world out Yeah. or I don't know what to say to that. But, you know, I think that understanding that supporting Amy or supporting her as someone that is going through the same thing is that we're going through the same thing, but we have to, we have two different filters to some degree because she has everything that makes up who Amy is. And I have everything that makes up who Chuck is. And we might be staring at the same situation, but we're very different people in some respects. And so I want to make margin and space for what she is saying makes zero sense to me. But there's a reason she's saying it. And I need to get to the heart of what she's saying. And I need to get really, really curious. So the best thing I do to support my spouse is to get really curious, which I'm horrific at sometimes. (laughs) But I tend to get it right the most when I get curious with her. And that seems to be when I'm supportive. Yeah, and a uh, knowing Amy, I think a phrase that she uses is, "I just need you to sit in the mess with me." Oh like, God! Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that before or not, but uh, I think somewhere I've got a T-shirt with that. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's fantastic. So moving on here, um, this is very interesting, and this is probably comes up more in the, I guess, foster, um, process, but what are some questions I might get from people, you know, friends, coworkers that I might not expect? Man, I feel, okay. So I kind of feel weird in this one because I, there's some, a lot, there are a lot of questions that I've gotten that were surprising to me, or I didn't really see that one coming, but from friends and coworkers, I kind of feel like because they were so much a part of the process going into it that I feel like we were open enough mm-hmm. in what we were struggling with or what we were working with that that they kind of knew that if they ask it, we're going to share with them. Yeah. And so I think they kind of began to gauge. Um, we probably I feel like personally with me, 
I got more kind of questions I didn't expect from from people that maybe I knew a little bit less who completely don't get the foster care problem and would ask things. I mean, there's some stereotypical things like, do you love them the same way that you love your biological kids? And, you know, sometimes you answer, hey, man, I'm excited about the process, you know, <laughs> and yeah. and I'm excited about the way that God is leading us toward that. Um you know, there, there's some yeah, other questions yeah. that are like that. Um, but I can't say that there was just this massive amount of stuff that I was just, you know, you know, thrown that I was just like, man, I didn't really see that coming. And I think because of what I do for a living, um, being around people a lot, maybe that made it easier because of what Amy does for a living. Yeah, um, yeah. She has such a hard job being a counselor that maybe that kind of, um, and because we'd already adopted once, I feel like maybe that that helped as yeah, well. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So kind of going back into the fatherhood topic, uh, how can you redeem fatherhood for a child who has been severely wounded by their biological father? I think there's a couple of ways to answer that. You have the severely wounding that happens many times by the biological fathers, and you have the fact that there's really no encounter with that biological father and no knowledge and no history and no connection at all. So in some ways you feel like you're redeeming that in, in one of our instances and in, and in one context, you feel like you're redeeming that. And in another instance, you feel like you are, you know, walking a journey with someone who never knew that, that biological father and probably never will. And, handling the way that that not only affects them now, but how is that going to affect them at 15 and how is that going to affect them at, at 18 in our, in our older adoption through foster care, you know, we've had some pretty interesting conversations about the biological father and, you know, what that, the compare and contrast of that. And you never want to villainize anyone because I don't know him. Um, But what I'm, what I am always trying to help her see is that who I am is someone that, that loves her and wants the best for her and want to do everything I can to take care of her. And I want to do everything I can to see her succeed in the things that she wants to succeed in. And I just always want to redeem what I can in her life because I'm not perfect and I'm going to fail her. And I have failed her. And I've done things before where I've had to come back and apologize and been like, man, I was angry. And can I just explain to you why I was angry and just tell you I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the last thing I ever want to do is to ever do anything that makes her question or wonder anything that she might have ever questioned and wondered about other people that have been in her life. Mm-hmm. And so, man, that that's a hard one for me. Because it feels impossible to redeem fatherhood for her. What I'm what I'm trying to do is to live out exactly who Jesus has placed me to be in her life. And that feels daunting. Yeah. That's that that statement for me feels more daunting than redeeming fatherhood because you know, I feel like there's so many times I get it right and there's so many times I'm like, I literally feel like I rank in the bottom seven dads in the world <laughs> right now. And um I want all four of our children to look and go, look, that dude is not perfect. Mm -hmm. And my dad messed up. And my dad in that moment could have done better, but I love that guy. 
you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to go to battle and fight for that dude because I, I know he's going to battle and fight for me. And so that's I don't know if that's really answered the question, but yeah, redeeming uh, fatherhood feels so biblical and huge and like King James ish to me <laughs> that it almost feels like I'm not worthy of that statement. Yeah. Yeah. I just want, all my kids and specifically, you know, what that's talking about adoptive dads. I want that kid to know that I'm going to fight for what's right for that kid. Cause I'm not sure that that's always been the case in their life. Yeah, no, that's great. That actually, so the next question is what are the biggest mistakes you've made, uh, in this process? Oh, yes. And even in the, in the beginning, <laughs> you kind of teed well, yourself just, I, up for that one. So <laughs> I feel like the biggest mistakes I've made was the first seven days in the, in home. In, in the in the second adoption that we did, I feel like the first week was just one seven day mistake of me trying to figure out how to handle this yeah. and um, constantly just questioning and anger and mad and almost to the point of I'm speechless and not knowing what to do. And so I feel like my mistakes were um, to some degree blaming a small child for the fact that this behavior is coming from six years of not having much stability. And so I'm blaming a kid when the truth is it's not really that kid's fault. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, the biggest mistakes are sometimes the biggest mistake has been just yelling and saying exactly what's on my mind. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest mistake I made in the beginning is verbalizing what was in my head. Mm. And, um, there's no way that she was ready emotionally to hear truth yeah. in that context of, of frustrating being, being brought out. And, you know, I never like said, you know, anything just incredibly inflammatory, but I, I, I feel like my mistakes were just not knowing how to deal with that situation in the time, especially in the first seven. Like I literally am having this, these thoughts of the first seven days. We're triggering right and now for you. Sorry, like Jeff. talking about wanting to have a reset and a do over and, and feeling PTSD over that to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think also I didn't check in with my other kids enough. And that was another mistake in the beginning is so focused on this new challenge and I didn't always feel like I did a great job checking in with the other people that were in my house, including my wife. And so I would say the biggest mistakes I made were saying exactly what was on my mind mm-hmm. and not checking in enough with my my teammate, Amy, and the other three kids that were in in my in my family. Yeah. No, that's that's good. And that's I mean, you you got to show yourself some grace in that situation because that's obviously it's new, it's different, it's, you know, it brings up all of the emotions. And I mean, yeah. I think I think us as dads too, I mean, I, I deal with that as well as bringing a little too much truth into a situation yeah. um rather than grace and that's man, that's that's tough. That's definitely tough. I so. feel like at times my wife looked at me like, "What exactly are you doing right now?" Like <laughs> Why are Literally, you here? What's going on with you? Why Why are you doing this? Yeah, I feel like I got a lot of pointing to of like, just leave the room right now. <laughs> and why don't you go take a walk or, you know, why don't you go outside and, and just sit somewhere? I don't care where you sit. Just go sit somewhere and yeah. just don't be in this in this area at right time. So I feel like some of the smartest things I did during that is maybe follow some of those directions and just kind That's of smart. let let the smarter parent deal with the situation at that time. <laughs> so this is again, another 
uh, tee up into the next question. So how did you handle frustrations with the DHS process? Man, I, I don't know how to answer that question. (laughs) Um, I think that we met a lot of people that are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And just such a hard job who are making it possible for adoptions like ours to happen. And I think when you do what they do for a living and the amount of messy that they actively pursue and walk into, it's, it's always, it's never going to be perfect most likely. And I think how I handled the frustrations is probably different than the way that Amy and I handled the frustrations. I felt like when I walked alongside my wife who got it better, who understand the process more, I feel like I made better decisions of how I handled my frustrations. I feel like I always wanted to go off on somebody and make mm-hmm. a really fun phone call and get really stern and really loud and really, you know, um, mad. Yeah. And yeah. because I feel like that was going to make me feel better. It would have done nothing for the situation and it would have done nothing to help this little person that just came into our home and it would have done nothing to help me and Amy's marriage. It would have done nothing to help anything. Um, and so I think what we did was always try to not knee jerk Mm -hmm. and that helped with the frustrations. Now, again, some of the frustrations are from a place of protection. You wanted to protect your wife. You wanted to protect us as a couple. You wanted to protect our kids. You wanted to protect this little person that has just come into your home. And so some of the frustrations led us to do some things that we had to do for protection and that handled correctly. I feel like we had to take those frustrations and to do something with them. But I think what I was reminded of a lot is that there are a lot of people that are working really hard to make something very, very messy, um, the best possible situation. And that's really hard to remember when you're uh, upset about a, about a a piece of uh, red tape or a, or about an email or about uh, someone who maybe doesn't get you and is talking to you in a way that is like, man, that person doesn't get me. If they just knew me, they would, they would, they would do it this way. Or if, if I was the only case that they had in their caseload, I know it would be this, but knowing that I'm one of 37 or something like that, like I think the smartest thing we did is remember the, the big picture, but Honestly, how we handled the frustrations, I watched my wife and and I feel like I learned a lot by watching her. And the smartest thing I did was when she needed to take the lead, I just manned up and let her take the lead because she was better at it than I was. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's great, man. That's, you're kind of, you're kind of triggering some stuff for me too here sitting in this. So, um, it is hard, I think in the middle of it to remember that you are not the only case that you are right. not the only one who's dealing with this. And then, and then to hear, um, obviously of the people who have a heart for this, who are in it every single day, who are working 60 hours a week to find placements for the kids and to go through this, you know, and then, and then you're dealing with all the red tape that even they can't change, but yet yeah, they're the ones who you're talking to. So it's hard not to take it out on them too, you know? And, so. and you say stupid things like this, I'm just going to run for Senate. <laughs> I'm going to run for Senate. Yes. I, you know, or I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a change. I'm going to do this. This email is literally going to just 
eradicate this issue and we're going to bring, you know, whatever. Reform. Absolutely. Preach. Jack. Hey, I'm, I'm voting for you tomorrow. Actually. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you're talking (laughs) about the worst ever. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Hey, we'll, uh, honestly, again, this, I appreciate you doing this. Um, we'll, uh, we'll kind of finish up with this. Uh, but what is your uh, best piece of advice or encouragement to adoptive dads who are kind of in it right now that are in the trenches? What, what's a word of encouragement you can throw their way? Give yourself the grace and the margin to know that you've got to be in this for the long haul, that you've got to play the long game, um, that it's okay to not feel the the level of attachment that you may think that you're supposed to have. It's okay. Um, Give yourself the ability to to just begin to ask Jesus for wisdom. Um, You know, people say all the time, we'll just pray about it. Well, I, yeah, I, I think that, but I think pray specifically that Jesus is going to give you the wisdom to handle when you don't feel attached. Mm-hmm. And when it's a year or two in and nothing has changed for you, or when it's four years in and all you want to do is see that kid the same way, and sometimes that's hard. And so just give yourself grace to be able to kind of walk the journey out and to realize that you can't put, because I thought it was like, man, three months in, let's do this. And that, that's just not realistic in every context. And so give yourself the grace and the, and the peace and the margin to know that it may be a years long journey for you mm-hmm. to be where you need to be. And um, that that's OK, that if you're staying close to the heart of God and if you are doing everything you can to connect and if you are following him and doing everything you can to stay connected with him, it doesn't guarantee that it's going to work into a timeline. So just be okay with that and talk to other people who are helping you understand it's okay with that. Yeah, no, I think that's great. That's actually my, my father reminded me of that piece the other day. He said, um, it may be 20 years before you see what God is actually going to do through what you're doing right now, or you may never see it. You may be dead and gone. Um, but that impact may, may be something that, uh, is on down the line. So someone talked to me one time about, cause I've been lucky that there's some people in my life. I've been able to be really, really real with, you know, um, Amy and I have, have been in counseling for, for, for many, many years. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, uh, bits of wisdom that has been told to me is just imagine the story that you're able to tell when, um, you see God do what he's promised. Mm. Or when when you see something that you go, man, that's exactly what I've been praying about. And also, imagine the story that you can tell when you can still talk about a faithful God and nothing ever changed. And so yeah. I think, you know, as we see progress and as we see attachment begin to maybe shift and ebb and, and flow and stuff like that, um, I think that we just know that there's an incredible story in all of this. And that story comes out of being obedient to what Jesus has asked us to do and to staying close to him through the hard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Hey, Chuck, thanks again so much. I mean, the nuggets of wisdom, my friend, that were dropped in this were amazing. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, but I mean, you beat Amy, 
on this interview. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm super competitive. I'm literally going to tell her that right Make now. Make sure she knows that. Like, she's get, she got she got a B plus and I got an A minus. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. All right. Hey, where can people uh, connect with you if they they want to get in touch or have any questions? What's the best place to uh, to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, our our personal email I think would probably be the best thing. Um, and so, I mean, if someone actually wanted to get a hold of me instead <laughs> of listen, Chuck, thank you for what you said, but I really just want to talk to your wife, which would make a ton of sense. Yeah, but yeah. our email is Chuck and Amy Butler at yahoo.com. And, you know, we'd love to, if there's anything that we can ever do to help. And sometimes honestly, that's just listening and, and sharing the story that we have, but man, we'd love to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, thanks again. And uh, you guys make sure to check out uh, all the resources and stuff that we have available uh, at the Adopted Mom Podcast. And uh, this is this is me signing off. So thanks again, Chuck. Yeah, loved it. <laughs>Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey and he is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.